Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. Back in 2011 or 12, I can't quite remember, a shiny young couple showed up on Sunday morning at the last traditional church where I served as pastor. Erin James Brown and her spouse Joel were newlyweds, I think, and they had brand new theological educations from conserving schools. But they were well on their way to an expansive understanding of God's love for all people. And Joel was going on for more graduate school to learn more about that. But Erin was ready to practice ministry. And so she got a job in Fort Worth as a hospital chaplain. She brought hope where she could and comfort where she could not. And one day, in an attempt to get to know Erin better, I took her to lunch at a burger joint that I chose because, frankly, I was not yet ready to honor her vegetarian way of life. She told me over lunch that she had absolutely no interest in church planting. She had been part of a startup church in the last city where they lived, and she knew for a fact that it's hard and exhausting and, frankly, diminishing of her spirit. She wanted nothing to do with any new attempt to make new church. About a year later, Aaron, along with Joel, became a member of the Redwood Originals, Galileo's team of 20-somethings who decided to plant a church in order to make room for all the people who were not here yet, all the spiritual refugees who did not yet have a home. And pretty soon, within a month or two, we had hired Aaron to be our very first youngster czar, which at that time meant that she took 10 or 12 kids to my family's guest bedroom to play games and keep them occupied while the grown-ups were trying to do church in my living room. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, it was exactly as Erin had predicted over lunch. It was hard and it was exhausting. Only this time, we found that our spirits were lighting up with all the possibilities around every corner. And I have to tell you, I don't know if Galileo Church would exist today without Aaron's efforts and encouragement in those early seasons. About a year after that, when Joel went to the University of Chicago to get his PhD, I cried like a baby. And Aaron decided to go with him, despite my asking her half-jokingly if she would just stay. Erin has now pastored two more church startups in Chicago. She is currently with Big Shoulders Church. Big Shoulders Church is her baby, along with their actual baby, Margot. And now, after all this time, after all these years and all the help that Erin gave to us, she has returned to Galileo Church from afar to ask for our help. We are her co-sponsors along with Gilead Chicago, which is another fabulous next church on the spiritual but not religious frontier, for the transfer of her ordination from a denomination that does not honor the fullness of her calling to a denomination that does. And so we, church, are once again a conduit for someone's spirit to travel 
We're helping Erin reach the destination that God has set before her. And I hope you are proud of that work, Galileo. You do it a lot, whether you know it or not. Erin James Brown is dear to me, and she is a gift to this church, and she is good for the world. And I'm so glad that she's joining us tonight through the miracle of technology and the equally miraculous cooperation of church and spirit. I'm reading the text for Erin's sermon tonight. She selected the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. The theme for our series during this month is what the world needs now. And we're going to hear in just a minute what Erin has learned about that from this text. John 6. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also called the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? He said this to test Philip, for Jesus himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now, there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, oh, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed, oh, three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were terrified, but he said to them, it's me. Don't be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hi, Galileo. I'm Erin James Brown. When referring to me, you can use the pronoun she and her. 
I currently serve at a church in Chicago, Illinois, where I live and work. But back in the day, I once served as the first youngster czar at Galileo Church. I am so delighted through the gift of the internet and the Holy Spirit to be joining you this evening um, for worship. And I'll be leading us in our sermon. Let us pray so that we may hear God better tonight. God, we take in a deep breath and breathe in your presence and breathe out any fear or anxiety consuming us. We breathe in the hope of life and breathe out any fear of death. God, calm us this evening. Help us rest and relax in the blessing of community and in the gift of you and your presence. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Man, I wonder. I wonder if Jesus was annoyed. It seems like in John 6, he was constantly being followed by people. In, he was... It also seems like he was calculating an escape, a plan for a little bit of R&R, so he could take a few moments of not being on for all the world to demand things of him. And this throng of people just are relentlessly following him. Some are probably prowling to get closer to his celebrity. Others are seeking for ways to test him. And a few are just desperate for a miracle. And so... It astonishes me that Jesus seems unperturbed by these groupies. He can see the multitude of their eager faces and recognize in some of them this ache for a life-changing encounter with the Son of God. So maybe he hears them coming and he takes all of them in this half a stadium size of a crowd approaching. He asks Philip to do a quick calculation of how they will feed the clamoring people Andrew, super eager, pipes up and pushes a young boy close to the feet of Jesus with this idiot, bidious, tiny morsel of an offering. It makes sense, though, that Jesus asks about food, because in John's gospel, he's doing lots of body stuff. It's it's body yadi yadi all the time, water, bread, eating, drinking, healing, raising the dead. In the complexity of humanity, Jesus is always looking to sustain the life of his followers. And he doesn't discern who's unworthy of eating. He just provides. And I imagine that over the meal, the people sit and together share with the joys of a new birth or the grief of loss and celebrate the provision for their bones. Jesus gives the audience a glimpse of God's future banquet. The story of feeding is physical and emotional. It's in the present and it demonstrates the future. Jesus provides, provides words of life, bread of blessing. But to be honest, I, I have not felt words of life and bread of blessing as of late. In recent months, I haven't tasted enough fish and loaves because I've been metaphorically eating crumbs and rationing things. 
in a continuous COVID world, when people don't enforce the health of the most vulnerable, when we are forced to do our own contact tracing, when we're constantly worried about the spread of a deadly disease, we are all tired of the constant trauma. We're all living with the threat of death. So it's been a time, a season of crying out to God for intervention. And I feel like we're not asking for excess. We don't want the leftovers, Jesus. Just, just enough for right now. The basics. There are many times over the course of my life when I felt like I was barely surviving and I just needed a small amount of the basics. When my spouse and I lived in Fort Worth, I worked a lot. I worked at a hospital. I worked serving my church. I worked teaching group fitness classes. I was constantly tired and drained, and I could only afford to pay my bills. Just barely scrape by and nothing in savings. And I remember getting a bill that I wasn't expecting that I didn't know how I was going to be able to pay, that was huge to my meager bank account. And I called Katie, sitting crying in my car because I didn't know what I was going to do, and I was distraught. And she promised me, Erin, it's not always going to be like this. And to be honest, I was really angry. <laughs> because I was in pain of not having enough now. I threw my phone across the car. I banged on the steering wheel. And I just cried those angry, hot tears of how much longer, oh Lord? How much longer till I can afford the medicine that makes my brain function better? How much longer until I can afford to take a day off? I had to remember that God did not create the systems of capitalism, the systems of unpaid internships, the systems of student debt that we participate in, <laughs> or the other like human treatments. We as a humankind get caught up in the cycles of abuse and the rat race and the perpetual harm of one another. Those are not the things of God because God doesn't rejoice in our competition for more, for me, for mine, for the isolation of just getting by. When we're suffering to merely survive, we know that our desperation is not of God because God is the God of more, right? And so desperation is born out of people and systems that perpetuate scarcity that give birth to more enduring anxiety. It's like people who manipulate groups to maintain power, who prevent groups from gaining access to promote competition. And then it's also these other like more mysterious, nefarious things, constructs all around us, like racism, sexism, heterosexism, ableism, they all further discriminate and fail uh, to share create failure to share resources. But they also breed within our brains this belief that there's never enough for me or mine. No matter who we are or how we identify, it can seep into our brains and wring out 
any memory of shared goodness. When we get tired from doing it on our own, our anxiety grows. But anxiety is also contagious, like a, a cold on a cruise ship. It just comes into contact with people and spreads a contagion of fear, leading people to believe it'll never get better. And that fear is, when you feel it, it's real. But there's a problem with that fear. And that problem is Jesus. Because Jesus was like super wasteful. Like, that guy leaves shit everywhere and gives it away to everyone. You hungry, bruh, come and eat with us, he would say. Or you need a healing, sis? Well, you're forgiven too. Or we ran out of wine? Well, that's fine because the party don't start until I walk in. Around Jesus, there's always excess, always more. Lavish things being left around for those who didn't even ask. Jesus is always making space at the table to host an even bigger party, to include more of those who weren't even invited in the first place. Even when Jesus left, he provided the spirit to guide. And so as Jesus followers, in those times of deep pain, it is always us who are trying to tear away the veil of scarcity from our eyes. The lie that separates us from each other and separates us from God's abundance so that we can see God's provision more clearly. We pray. We pray for creativity so that we can reorder our institutions and our lives and our resources to make sure that there's enough because there is indeed enough to go around. Jesus was never planning an exit once he took in all of those people, he immediately inquires about their basic needs, demonstrating that the multitude, demonstrating to the multitude that God's glory is not for the by and by, not for some other day. God's will for the future of the world is here right now. It is already available. So when institutions and big businesses try to cut corners by paying their employees too little or taking away essential care, we, in Jesus' name, can call bullshit. There is enough in the present for health and dignity and well-being for all. If we just took a little bit, redistributed a little bit, got a little creative in how we looked at things. It seems like, when it, what it seems like, a small bit from a saturated bank account could be taken out of a balance sheet and make a big difference to those in the greatest need. When children are living in poverty, did you know that one in six children live in poverty in the United States and resources are reallocated and include families, both those with the most need and those who might not need? It still helps raise 65.5 million children from the poverty line when we invest in families so that all have as much as they need. It happens, too, when fires consume the West Coast and hurricanes beat down on the Southeast. Jesus sees our nearly too late desire to save ourselves from, from the destruction we've created and says, okay, I can work with that. 
God knows there's still time to adjust our functions and processes to promote better air quality and switch the movement of the clouds to prevent further destruction. There is enough time, as long as there's breath in our bodies. It will require creativity and seeking things and moving mountains. Things might look like crumbs, but to transform into enough. When I threw my phone across the dashboard in fury, little did I know on the other end of the line, Jesus followers were rising up, raising money to help me because they knew what it was like to get an unexpected bill. The abundance of God is that there are more people willing to share because they once received. It is a lie that I thought I was alone in my pain. Jesus in resurrection reminds us that death is not the end. My death is not the end of the power of God working in the world. It's not up to me to solve all of the world's problems because I am not the savior of the world. I am a construction worker on behalf of the master builder. You and I, in the abundance of God's work, simply lay foundations of justice and hope and work that generations beyond us will take up and maybe hopefully see to its completion. Our work is not dependent on one individual or one really charismatic leader. Our daily grind points towards the moreness, the greatness, the never going to go thirsty again provision of God. And so we don't have to worry that we're not doing enough. We are not being enough because there's enough to go around. When the worry and the waves and the storm of life rise up high and threaten to swallow us whole, Jesus reorders the skies to bring peace. When we feel overwhelmed by a tumbling issue approaching, Jesus turns towards us and offers exactly what we need. When it looks like only crumbs are available, our God is at work cooking up a banquet of more than enough because our God takes the smallest of things, even a teeny baby, and reestablishes the world anew. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.